I want to invite you to stand with me. It's our practice to read together out of the scriptures, and so we stand together out of uh, respect for God's word, and we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, ending our series today on friendship, and so I'm going to read this aloud, and you can follow along. The writer uh, of Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plan and a time to uproot, a time to kill time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build. We've been looking at this for the last several week, weeks. And then the writer goes on in verse 9 and says, What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Anybody have a rough week at work this week? Right? You've seen the toil, right? He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set, what? Eternity, Eternity in the human heart. Something bigger than this moment. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Turn to your neighbor and say, I would like to be happy and do good. Just turn to your neighbor, just tell them that's important. Verse 13, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm looking forward to lunch. (laughs) This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure how long? forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will what? Fear him, reverence, awe, wonder him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we're looking at uh, the subject of friends. Now, I I hope as you've been uh, with us in this series that you've been thinking about your friendship. Here's what I've discovered in life. The best way to learn something is to teach it. Did you know that? You want to get better at something, understand something better, teach it to somebody else, and you'll understand it more deeply. So this has really helped me. So if it didn't help you at all, this has helped me a lot. Thank you very much. Uh, I've learned a lot about friendship and the importance of friendship and the power of friends in your life. They're one of God's very, very best gifts. Uh, The philosopher Aristotle, he said that there are different kinds of friends, He said, there are friends that you enjoy. That might be someone that you go have a beverage with after work. You know, that's my buddy. It's my, you know, those are my friends. I I go, I go, I I have a fantasy football draft with those guys. They're not close, but they're, you know, they're friends you enjoy. Maybe you enjoy the exact same thing. He said, then there's a kind of friendship where uh, you, you profit from one another, something Something is benefit. There's a mutual benefit that you receive from your friendship. Maybe you work together, and so it benefits you to be friends because that makes things better in the office or in the workplace, you know? Uh, but then he says there are true friends. This is, this is how Aristotle, like not, a, not a Christian person, um, a, a philosopher, he said a, 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 a true friend is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Well, uh, that's the kind of friendship that we're after, we're talking about, and uh, the question you have to ask is, well, how do you get to that kind of friendship? How do you have a a true friendship with another person? And honestly, this is one of the reasons that I am a Christian, because Jesus offers a tremendous ecosystem that allows friendship to flourish. Because listen, whether or not you are a person of faith, whether or not you would consider yourself a Christian, you still have to figure out, now how in the world am I going to have friends? How am I not going to be alone in the world? And, but but I, I think it would be uh, important for us to check out the ecosystem that Jesus offers. And it, what it does, it creates the gifts of friendship, the, the kind of ecosystem that Jesus says, if you live this way, this is the kind of friendships 
that are possible if you live this way. So I've got some verses for you. If you're taking, filling in uh, the blanks on the notes and you're going to talk about it in your life group this week, I want you to get the gifts of friendship. So uh, Peter, who wrote a letter in the New Testament, one of the disciples of Jesus, he had this powerful, it stayed with me. I remember reading it for the first time when I was about 15 years old. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Love, read the whole thing with me out loud, would you? Love one another, how, how, how? Deeply, not shallowly, not lightly, not a little bit, not some, not on Sunday. Deeply, from what? From the heart. From the heart. Now, if you did that, the gift of friendship is that you would experience the fact that you can love somebody and you can be loved. It's great when you love somebody, but when they love you back, wow. It's one of the gifts of friendship is you're loved and you can be loved. Then uh, James, he wrote in his letter, he said this. This is really, uh, some of us, you'll you'll hear these words and you'll go, I'm not about to do that, but I just want to unpack what he means by this. He says this, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. What, what's, he, what's he talking about? What's the kind of environment that James is talking about? He's saying you can create an environment where it would be okay for someone to know you, the real you, the struggles that you have, the sins that keep coming back to you. They'd know you and they'd still like you. And through that, that mutual confession with a trusted friend you would find some healing. So you can know, and you can be known. Someone knows. You can know somebody else, and you can be known. That's one of the gifts of friendship. Then the writer of the Proverbs, who's also the writer of Ecclesiastes, most people, most scholars say, uh, King Solomon, the son of David, he said, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. How many of you have had an unreliable friend? (laughs) You counted on them for something, and they weren't there. Uh, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Christian often, Christians often hear that and go, that's Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, but it's also somebody else who really does stick with you closer than a brother or a sister. There's someone who serves you, and you can be served by them. The gifts of friendship are you can love and be loved, you can know and be known, you can serve and be served. This is, this is, this is the gift of friendship. Now, what does that take to get there? Because there are some barriers to friendship. I know some of you, because some of the conversations that I've had um, have been really kind of potent through this series because people have said, well, I, I've been hurt by somebody, and I'm not entirely certain I want to try risking again. So there are some barriers that we have to overcome if we're going to have that kind of friendship. So I want to give you three, three barriers and some antidotes, and then we're going to talk about what the writer of Ecclesiastes says here. Um, here's the first barrier is there's broken trust. I moved to a city, uh, not this city, um, and I moved in. I was moving, when I moved, I was really excited because someone I considered a very, very, very dear and close friend, lifelong friend, lived in that city. And uh, I, was, I, was, I mean, I just can't tell you how excited I was because this was one of my dearest, dearest friends. Without getting into the whole story, because this is on the internet, hi, Facebook Live. Um, that friend, for for reasons I still can't figure out, just stop being my friend. I can think about that today, and, and if I dwell on that, I, a sadness overtakes me that I don't even have words for. And some of you have been through 
that kind of a pain. And I, I, listen, honestly, I wish that this was different and I, I wish I knew what to do about it. I honestly don't. And, and the reality is, is that when trust gets broken, that there is pain in a relationship and, and you had some expectations that for someone in a friendship and those expectations did not get met. And then what happened is you were frustrated. Listen, you can take this to the bank. Frustration is always a function of unmet expectations. That's always, it's always the case in your life. And you had some expectations of a person and they, they let you down and it hurt. And it hurt. And so you're just like, I'm not sure I want to try that again. Now, but let me, let me just tell you the antidote. It's going to seem like I'm just giving you this trivial thing, but you need to think about this all the way to the bottom. Um, the antidote is that tears are the price of love. This is how C.S. Lewis said it. I think we've got it on the screen for you. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, here's what you do. You must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, uh, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Here's the price of love. Uh, another barrier is you have to get past uh, past hurt. Friends do some things to you that they w- you wish they had not done. They aren't there for you when you need them. They they do something or they did something that you wish they hadn't done. It happens. It happens. I didn't say <laughs> another word. But what, what's the antidote when someone's hurt you? Well, it, again, this is difficult, but it's simple. Uh, the antidote is is forgiveness. Now, can we talk about that for a second? I I don't know a person who doesn't have, you've just lived long enough (laughs) that you have somebody in your circle that you need to forgive. Let's make sure that we're, we're on the same page because here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean that you trust the person again. doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean you write off if maybe they did something horrifically wrong and they should have never done that. And it's not saying, you know, I was okay and I'll just trust you again. That's not what it means. It's not saying it did not happen. It's just saying, here's what you're doing when you forgive someone. You're just saying, I'm not going to allow that circumstance to continue taking up space in my mind. Because when you are hurt, the pain stays with you long after the initial thing happened. Yeah, um, just a couple days ago, I don't, I've got this shirt button, but I was uh, on, on chopping a piece of wood on a miter saw, and the wood spun up and hit me in the wrist. And uh, I, I thought, well, that, that's bad. Because um, <laughs> uh, there was, it was like big red, long mark, and then this very hard spot. It was like a, a twig underneath the skin. And I went, oh, that seems so I can move my fingers, but... Maybe I'm internally bleeding. I'm going to die. So I, I, I drove, and I got my daughter from school. I'm like, well, I think I'm, I think I'm okay. And I had to go to the ER, and this was a couple days ago. And you, you know what happened from that hurt? It still hurts today. Maybe more than it hurt in it, because they said, what's your pain level? I don't know, like one. I was joking with the nurses in the ER. and It still hurts later, Right? And, and what happens is the effects of the incident are ongoing. Hurt, hurt is like a squatter in your mind. It's unwanted presence taking up space in your mind. And it's, listen, listen very carefully. This is very important. It stays until you drive it out by the healing that comes from forgiveness. And, and can we talk turkey for a second here? Because what other option are you choosing? 
bitterness, resentment. Um, those things are the radioactive options. You understand that, right? If you are exposed to something that is radioactive, it, you, once you're exposed to it, what happens is it continues to degrade you over time. That's, that's what radioactive is. And forgiveness, as hard as it is, is God, God's antidote for a broken heart. You, you have to forgive. If you're going to have friends, if you have hard friends, you're going to have to forgive. No other option. Then it's just a simple practical thing is we often don't know how. Um, it's confusing or maybe friendship feels touchy-feely. And the, the antidote is knowing the equation of friendship. Friendship is, is I think, it's four things. It's time. Like you spend time with somebody. get to know them. You do some things together. You know, you, you share life. Uh, you, you, you talk. You know, there's conversation that happens. And then I talked about it last week. You've got to disclose something about yourself. If you never are vulnerable, you never can get close. So those are some of the barriers of friendship. So here's the teacher, and the teacher says that there are all these times of our life, and, and we've been saying through the series that friends are for the times of our life, and, and the teacher says that there's a time to be born and a time to die. This is the totality of your life. Pastor Bob Burton uh, does, I, I don't know, I think like close to 80 funerals a year, and he's just a funeral machine. And, um, and he always, I've been to a couple of the funerals that he does, and uh, he always tells this same story. Because if you're, if you're a preacher, when you, when you go and do funerals, you do that a lot. So you've got to kind of have, you know, how you're going to hang all this together. And, and so he tells this same story, and he reads this little poem called Your Dash. I don't have it memorized or anything. But basically what he's saying is when you go to a cemetery and you look on that, that headstone, there's the date that someone is born, and there is the date that that person died. And then in between those two dates is the dash. And the dash represents your life. And he always, Pastor Bob always asks the question, what are you doing with your dash? Now, here's where the, here's where the problem comes with friendship, is that we think, uh, th- how we think about our life, we think that our dash is to be lived alone, and we think life is a test, and that asking someone for help on our test is cheating. And so we have this idea, we should figure this out on our own, and if we can't figure it out on our own, something must be wrong with us. In fact, the basis of our society as, Ameri- as American people, um, they, they refer to it as radical individualism. In human history and in other cultures, in, the, in Eastern cultures, it was all about the family and it was all about the community and you wouldn't do something that would bring dishonor to your family. And in the American experiment, we said, you know what? I don't have to pay attention to what my family wants. I can do whatever I want. They call it radical individualism. And here's the result. There's some really positive benefits to that. But the, 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 the downside of that is people are radically alone, right? Like, I got to do this by myself. And you were not meant for this by God. You were not meant to go from birth to death alone. You weren't meant to feel sorrow in your heart because you feel like no one loves you. You weren't meant to feel the pain of facing your problems alone. You were meant to have friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got to have friends. We got to have friends. Stay with me. Stay with me. Then uh, the writer says that there is a time to plant and a time to to uproot. Now, what's he talking about here? Time to plant. It's the work of your life. This is, a, this is an earthy kind of metaphor, and, and um, he's painting the picture. Because, see, we live in a, in a mechanical age. We live in a technological age. We live in a, a machine age. And, and this, is a, this is an organic 
metaphor, and, and life is an, more like planting a seed than it is running a machine or working a piece of technology. And that's what, that's what the writer's trying to point to. And so when you plant something, there's a miraculous element to it. You plant the seed, and then you water it, and then you watch it grow. And then if it's something that has flowers too, because everything has the potential of life in it that you plant, you can watch one seed become seeds. I mean, there's miracle and wonder to it, and life was meant to have a miraculous wonder in it. I mean, that's what the, this is what the teacher's pointing to. There's supposed to be this miraculous wonder that we have about life. But when you live in a machine or a technological age, what you do is you build a machine, you run a machine, you maintain a machine. It may break down, you may repair it, but eventually that machine is no good anymore, and you throw the machine away. So, because we live in a me- mechanical kind of reality in our world we we think that a machine we think that life is throwawayable that's why we have all these people who go shoot people and they say things like you know life is not really worth much because they've missed the reality that there's supposed to be this wonder at life that we're meant to live in an organic reality in front of god in fact the word plant is the hebrew word nata n-a-t-a is how you would transliterate that into english say say, say that word ready nata not Okay, it's 9 o'clock. Um, <laughs> nata. Try it again. Nata. It means to plant. It means to put down roots. It means to build. And that, that also means there's nata, a thing I should overlook. Okay, dumb, dumb preacher wordplay. Um, but we have to pay attention to what we're planting. We have to believe in seeds and possibilities and growth and believe in seasons and sustenance. Now, why do we plant things? Now, we're not farmers, and this was written to an agrarian farming kind of uh, society. But, but at, with us as non-farmers, when we plant things, we're thinking about environment. You know, you want to pretty up the outside of your house, and so you buy a plant and you put it on the steps, and you're, you're wanting to make things beautiful, and you maybe you want to change how things look. You know, that's why we, you plant. You want to you affect the environment. Um, farmers, I think when they plant, they're thinking about hunger, <laughs> And, and they want to prepare for the winter, and they want to make sure they provide for their family and that they're fed in the future. So, so watch this. Here's why we plant. We plant to create an environment that provides for people. Let me say that to you again. We plant to create an environment that provides for people. So the work of God is to plant things. So here, let me give you some verses so you can see this, because this is really important. Genesis 2.8, the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. God's a planter. Um, Isaiah chapter 60, uh, they, Israel, God's talking to his people, are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands. And then uh, Isaiah uh, says it this way, and this is, the word is translated, is the nata word, I who natad the heavens in place, who natad the foundations of the earth. Um, what you need to know about God is that the creator is the planter. And God has been putting seeds in your life all of your life. He has been dropping possibilities into you since your beginning. He's like, watch this musical ability. 
Watch this. This person can be creative. Watch this. This is someone who's going to be good with their hands. You won't believe this. This person's going to be good with numbers. Watch this. This person's going to have the ability to handle the sight of blood, and they won't pass out so they can be a nurse. Watch this. Watch this possibility. God is the planter, and he's always planting. It's just our reality is we just haven't always known that the seed was there, and we didn't know how to water it. God is the great planter, the great gardener. We have across the street the Portage Community Garden. Well, we kind of ought to think about the world as the earth community garden. And that God is continually planting things. So listen, this is, this is why this is important, okay? If God is a planter and we are made, made in God's image, then it is God-like to plant things. So when you work a job or you have children or you start a business, you are creating an environment that gives life to people and that is God-like. That is part of your purpose. So when you go to work every day, it's more than a paycheck. It's tending your garden. When you raise your kids, it's more than raising your kids and uh, having an 18-year-long battle of patience. It's about tending your garden. When you start a business, it's about more than making money. It's tending your garden. When you cook a meal or when you change a diaper or when you pay the rent, that's God-like work. It means something. It's important. It's valuable. And what your friends do in the middle of that, your friends help you become who you were meant to be. Along the way, they notice the seeds like, oh, you're so good at that. God must have dropped a seed into you, so you're so good at that. They see what you were meant to be. But then the writer, the teacher says, but there are also times to uproot what's been planted. A time to uproot. Why do we uproot things? Well, again, we're not, we're not farmers, right? And for, uh, for, for us as non-farmers, it's about usefulness. I, I had a picture, and I didn't get it translated, of this flower bed at our house. The people we bought the house from, um, they, were, they were retired, and they had no children. And so they spent their time in a garden, this lovely little patch that they'd made into this gorgeous little garden. And I don't have that kind of time. And so I was going to show you this picture of this enormous weed patch. <laughs> uh, and and, and it was, it's no longer useful, and it needs to be uprooted. It needs to be pulled up. For us, for non-farmers, you know, things are overgrown and, and they're no longer useful, so we uproot them. But now a farmer, when they uproot something, they're making room. What they're doing is they're replanting so they can plow, they, they, they plow up the old crop and, and they want you to eat what you've grown. If you've ever had a carrot, for those of you who don't know where carrots come from, this might be revelatory for you today. <laughs> it's in the earth. I think we have a picture. There it is. And you know what you do to eat the carrot, the fruit of your labor, you pull it up. You, you uproot it, and you're making room for the next thing. And so it's something that's already in place, and you pull it up by the roots. The word can mean weed or exterminate or hamstring or transplant. And, and it can be honestly painful to uproot, can it? When you hear that they've idled a furnace at the mill, and that means that a few hundred people are going to lose their jobs, or when your company restructures, or when somebody dies. I mean, that is an uprooting time, and you need friends when you have to uproot because they are a support system. Verbally, uh, they help you, and they encourage you, and they're present to you. And, and, and so when we uproot, we're making room for new things. Now listen, some of you need to take an inventory of your life. And there are some things in your life that are overgrown and you need to uproot. And and frankly, it's time for you to tear that thing out. And it is like that weed patch, if you had to see a picture of it, that's just a haven for bugs and snakes in your life. And you need to take a weed eater to that thing. 
And you need to cut it down. You need to take an inventory of your life and say, what are the things in my life that I no longer need? What's overgrown? And you need to make room for new things. This is why, this is why you need friends. Friend, here, if you're taking notes, friends give you perspective about what matters the most. So we stop, see, because this, this is us. We stop seeing how the weed patch has grown. We get used to it. You know how you have something in your house you just haven't taken care of for a long time? And, and maybe like you were tiling the bathroom and you didn't get the one little part. And then after a while you realize, oh, you, you forgot that you didn't, because you just step over it every day. And if someone came in and they were trying to buy your house, you, you, they would go, well, you got to fix this tile. You would, you would have, you've forgotten that it's even like that because you've gotten so used to it. Man, what friends do is they say, did you see the tile that looks terrible in your bathroom? I think you should... That's what, friends, that's what friends do for us. So Jesus, ecosystem, here's what it requires if you're going to have that kind of friend. You and I, if we're going to tap into the ecosystem that allows true friendship to grow, Jesus' ecosystem, where we experience the gifts of friendship, where we love and we be loved, we can know and be known, we can serve and be served. You know what it requires? It requires of you and me submission to God's plan. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I have this prayer. Um, we have it on a card, and as you leave today, you can have this card. But I want to pray it. Uh, before we do the benediction, I want, to, I want us to pray this together. This is one of my favorite prayers. Uh, it's from John Wesley. John Wesley was a, um, was a tribute. He's a Christian man, um, and he was attributed with keeping England from having a civil war over slavery. In the name of Jesus, one of, one of my heroes. But he wrote this prayer, and I want us to pray it out loud together, okay? Ready? Here we go. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily, heartily surrender all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be confirmed in heaven. Amen. Well, I, wanna, I want you to stay seated while I give you uh, a blessing, and then I want to tell you one more thing. Um, receive this blessing. You're sent to be people who submit to God so that you can love people and so that you can serve the world in Jesus' name. Um, I want to talk to you about this just for a second. I just I need, to, need you to hear this. And um, uh, As a pastor, one of our, we're, um, our job is to be an example, and we're not the one who does all the stuff. We're an example of someone who's trying to do the stuff. And so a pastor is not in your life to be someone who uh, does things for you, but to be an example to you of what it might look like if you were to do that and, and to learn with you. And uh, so there are seasons in a pastor's life as well. And there are seasons of planting and uprooting in a pastor's life as well. And um, in the interest of time, uh, I'll just give you the short version of this. This is a season of transplanting for my, my wife and my kids and I. And um, we're going to be making a transition to Kansas uh, in about a month. 
And um, I need, here's what I need you to know, okay? Because I'm going to, I need you to know something. 100% of this decision, because there's been a lot, those of you who've been around, you've been like, hey, what's going on? Um, 100% of this decision is me. 0% of this decision is anyone's influence at all who's a part of real life or lives in the region. It's 100%. I, uh, in the interest of time, too, if you want to, I will gladly tell you the whole story. It's a pretty remarkable story. Um, I will meet you for coffee. I will meet you for breakfast. I will meet you for lunch. I will have a Coke with you. Whatever you need. The worst possible thing you could do is to go, I think I know what's going on. No, you don't because I'm the horse and you're hearing it from my mouth. <laughs> um, so I, I, will, I will meet with you. Here's what, here's what I want you to do. And we'll talk about this more. And, you know, but I, I, I know this is, I'm dropping a, a bomb on you and it's been difficult to get to this place. Um, but here's what I need you to do, okay? I need you and your church needs you to stay. This is your church. I am not the church. This, I, I am not it. And I love you and will continue to love you. Um, but this is your church. Your church needs you. The, this is a fantastic church with a bright future. And your church needs you. Needs you to keep being the church. Just keep inviting friends and baptizing people and serving families and serving kids. Um, and I need you to love and I need you to give. Uh, this, is, this is your church. You're, you're going to need to make it go forward. We'll, we'll talk about the, the transition and all that kind of stuff and what, what all happens with that. But I wanted to tell you that. Um, I wanted you to hear it from me. And again, I will gladly sit down with, with you for as long as you would like and um, tell you the story uh, in our life um, behind this. I'm, the church I'm going to is, um, I was there on staff. It was my very first place I was on staff. And they need a whole new day. And um, it's just a few hours from my dad. If you've heard me talk about my dad, my dad is, has Alzheimer's and all the cares on my sister. And so there's a whole bunch of factors in this. And... Um, I'm very sad about this because I love you. I love you. I love you. Um, but it was clear to us, this is the season to uproot and to transplant. And um, God has a great future in store for real life. And you are a part of that. So you stay. Don't you dare go anywhere. All right? I will hunt you down if you go somewhere. Uh, don't you. You stay. You love and you give. Okay? So let me pray for you and then and we'll be done. Okay? Um, Lord, it's difficult uh, to hear uh, news we don't like. And Lord, thank you for this remarkable church who for decades you have used in the lives of people in the region. And for decades to come, you will use in the lives of people in the region a life-giving church who loves where people can bring their junk. Thank you for this church. And I pray your blessing on this, these people. Thank you that the church is not a building. It's not me. It's not this room. It's not this service. It's these people. And so, God, I pray your blessing on them as they continue to reach the reason. Thank you that your kingdom is bigger than just one, one place. And um, so I pray your blessing on them. And I pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. amen. You are